Good morning. Welcome. The first thing um, I want you to do, we're going to be in Acts 14 today. Acts 14. That's going to do the heavy lifting. Uh, when we're up here, we don't just say whatever we want. Uh, we don't just come up here and just do whatever comes to our mind. We're under the authority of the Bible. We're going to be in Acts 14 today. Um, hopefully that encourages some of you who, you know, you might be skeptical. Uh, we, don't, we don't just talk. Uh, we're under the authority of the Word. But if you don't mind, I was... Uh, just a few days ago, I was, I was thinking, I was actually reading a book on World War II in Germany, and um, I just had this fresh sense, it, 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 was, it was interesting, I just had this fresh sense of how fortunate and blessed we are uh, to live in a free country, right? It's the 4th of July, it's essentially what we're celebrating, um, and it just hit me. I mean, it was weighty. I was humbled. Obviously, I was encouraged, but I was almost like a little anxious, too. I was like, get grief, God. I could just as easily have been born um, in an oppressed society. So if you don't mind, would you join me? Um, We often lose this. Will you join me in just being silent and reflective and thankful to God um, and just thank him that we're free as citizens? Would you mind doing that with me just for a minute? And we also want to thank God. It's amazing that we have freedom in our country. But the true and better freedom that we have is spiritual freedom. Not too long ago, me and you, we were walking around in bondage to this idea that we could do what we wanted as long as it made us happy. And we were in bondage to that. God wasn't in our life. We were doing what we wanted to do. And God came into this world in the person of Jesus to free us, to release us, to give us new life. And again, I'm going to ask us, Let's just reflect on that for a minute. Let's contemplate on how God gave us freedom together. If you join me, please. Father, in Jesus' name, we're so thankful, God, for who you are. You are amazing. You're holy. You're different. You're just on this level that we can't even imagine. God, forgive us. Please forgive us. We so often go our own way. We live as if you don't exist so much of the time, but we're so thankful that you've come for us in Jesus, that you've given us new life, that we're no longer in bondage, but that we're free to enjoy and have joy and pleasure in you. We're so thankful. We ask that as we get into your word, God, that we'd have clarity, uh, that we'd understand, that you'd just take me out of it, and that we would be filled up and prepared for a week of service to you. In your name, amen. All right, guys, so like the big idea, the big banner, the single principle that we're going to be talking about today is resilience. The text talks about it. It's resilience in the Christian life. We're going to see some characters in the Bible that are resilient, okay? And if I wanted to, if we wanted to, it'd be really easy. All I would have to say is, hey, guys, uh, those guys in the Bible, they're really resilient, and you should be too, right? And then I guilt you, and then everything would be weird, but you kind of you do it, and you go through your week, not sure if you're doing it right or not. I can just tell you that. Just be more resilient. But for a little context, right, and this is what, part of what makes Christianity so unique. If you ever want to be resilient, friend, if you ever want to be strong, if you ever want to be that person that you see in the Bible that's faithful and you know you're not, 
If you ever want to be that person, you have to understand this single idea, that God comes for the weak, okay? God comes for those who are helpless. If we ever want to be resilient, we have to have the right starting place. We're weak. We're helpless. We need to be set free. That's where it starts. And so often, doesn't it seem like in in our context, in the South and in the church, it seems like we're just told to be strong. Buck up, man. Tighten up that chin strap. Be faithful. Be strong. You can do it. Right? It kind of it reminds us, um, let's say you were, let's say it's the 1500s. For whatever reason, God brought you into the world in the 1500s. You're in South America, okay? You're in an oppressed society. You're in a tribe. You know, it's like barbaric and you know, everyone's working to death, and you don't, I mean, there's no hope. You're in a society where there's no hope. Imagine if a Christian missionary came into that setting, right, and they essentially said, hey, guys, I know you're oppressed and stuff, but if you just have enough faith, if you're strong, then everything will be okay. Just have faith. Just be strong. And I mean, I know you're hurting, but that's the good news, that, that that God, if you believe in him, will get you where you need to go. And this is so prevalent, if we just switch back to our context, that's so prevalent here, right? I don't know if it's because we're comfortable and we're delusional. I don't know what it is, but we get this idea that I just need to buck up and be strong. On a side note, part of why Christianity has historically flourished in poor societies and oppressed societies. The reason it just moves forward like a mighty rushing wind. You know why it flourishes in those poor oppressed societies? Because missionaries come in filled with the Holy Spirit and they say, guess what? God does everything. You are weak. You are helpless. But God is going to save you. Your hope is in Him. In Him alone. And that gives them freedom because they know they can't do anything. That God's going to do it for them. It's good news. It's not have more faith, okay? Calm down for a minute. Let's see. How how do you know if you're resilient? How do we know if we're resilient or not? How do I know if I'm resilient or not? Let's say you have have two medals. You have two medals in your hand. One's resilient and one's not resilient, right? If you look at the non-resilient medal and you apply tremendous amounts of heat and pressure to it, Picture scientists in a lab, you know, they can put thousands of degrees of heat on it. What starts to happen to the less resilient metal? Picture it. It starts to change the shape, the form. It's molded. It's literally changing, right? And if it's not resilient, what happens at some point is it starts to break and disintegrate, and eventually it actually breaks down. It wasn't resilient. But if you have a resilient metal and you apply all this heat and pressure to it, Guess what? The same thing happens at the beginning. It's changing. It's being shaped. It's being formed. It's being molded. But the difference is it doesn't break. It doesn't ultimately break down. It doesn't disintegrate. And that's how it can be for us as human beings. How many of you, you're not very resilient? I was looking at myself this week. You aren't very resilient. When the heat and pressure comes into your life, Sure, you're, you're shaped, you're molded, you know what I'm saying? But ultimately, you can't take it. You, you break down, you fall apart. 
You're never the same. Right? And then there's a resilient person. And guess what? I want us to hear this. I want us to track with this. They're going through heat and pressure as well. They're suffering. They're hurting. They don't know if they're going to make it. They're just waking up going, God, get me through another day. But you know what's different about the resilient person? They don't, they don't ultimately break down. They don't disintegrate. To use football language, they've been there, they don't break. They got a good red zone defense, okay? <clears throat> this idea of resiliency through weakness, it challenges a lot of people, but it specifically challenges two different kinds of people. On the one hand, it really challenges religious people. And there's some of us in this room, I struggle with it. See, religious people, they just want to go, if I'm just strong and I follow the rules and I'm obedient and I'm holy and I'm pure, everything's going to be fine. I'm strong. I'm resilient, man. Look at all these people in the Bible. I'm just like them. And when you come in with this gospel message that says God comes from the weak and he actually saves you, he rescues you, they don't like that. We're going to see it in the text today. But on the other hand, it really challenges the modern cultural person. We're influenced by this more than we think. You see, the modern cultural person, they don't like this weakness idea. They ain't tracking with that. You see, because part of the modern idea is if I just get enough science, if I get enough technology, if I get enough knowledge, and we can just figure this out, and we can save the world, we can build the world, we can renew the world if we just get enough science and knowledge. You see, they don't see that they're weak. They think they're strong enough to conquer the world. In the process, they squeeze God out of the equation. He's not even there. They don't understand. The one true God comes for the weak. If we ever want to understand resilience, we got to get this. If we ever want to make that next spiritual step, we got to get this. If we ever want this spirit-filled ministry, we got to get this. It's not going to be this magical, you know, like, hey, now everything's fine but we'll be living in line with the way God designs it. And this is a tough lesson for me because I'm like, I think I'm all strong, you know, and like masculine. Hey, look at me, I'm a leader. And it's hard. It goes against our grain. All right, let's open it up. That was like the longest intro of all time. <laughs> Acts chapter 14. So far in the book of Acts, We've been looking at the history of the early church, right? Acts isn't just this book. It's like, hey, look at all these faithful people. I just need to emulate them, and then I'll be really cool and godly. That's not what the book of Acts is about. The book of Acts is about the history of the early church when the Holy Spirit came. Remember, Jesus has already lived, died, and resurrected. It literally happened. Jesus came into the world for helpless, weak sinners like me and you, and he released us. Right? And then he ascended into heaven to be with God. He didn't die again. It's not like he rose and then he was like, all right, I'm just kind of checked out till judgment day. No, he ascended and he's ruling and reigning right now. Right now. And the book of Acts is about now that Jesus has risen, he sent the Holy Spirit. You see what religious people do? They say, the book of Acts, mm -mm -mm, it's about the Acts of the Apostles. That's what they say. It's about the Acts of the Apostles. And you know what? It's kind of true. It was happening through apostles. It was. That's kind of man-centered. You kind of leave God out of the equation. That's usually important. 
So then some people say, no, it's not enough. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Acts of the Holy Spirit, yes. And that's a lot more true because the Holy Spirit has come. But friends, if we're not careful, we separate the Holy Spirit from Jesus. Like Jesus was just in the Gospels, and Acts is all about the Holy Spirit, right? But we forget the book of Acts is all about Jesus. He's ascended. He's up there, and he's the one who sent the Holy Spirit so that through him, Jesus can accomplish great things. This book is all about Jesus. Let's get into the story. We pick up here in verse 1. Paul, the greatest proclaimer of Jesus of all time, he's on a journey. He's going from city to city to city. He's proclaiming Jesus. It's amazing. He's a church planner. He proclaimed the gospel. And he's on this journey. And here he is. We pick up in the city of Iconium. It's really important. Paul had a strategy. He had a tactic. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean you go around being irresponsible. The Holy Spirit grants you wisdom and strength and tactics and strategy. And Paul had this strategy, right? He would go to the Jews first. He always went to the Jews first. In other words, he went to the religious people first. These are the people who have knowledge of God. They've heard about him. They've been educated in the law. They know the rules. They know the holiness codes. But so often, they don't actually know the one true God. They've actually missed the whole picture. They've missed it. And so Paul goes in. Now at Iconium, they gathered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So you go to the Jews first. You proclaim the gospel. They realize they've been missing it all along, and they come to believe in God through Jesus. It's amazing. And in this particular scene, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles both are converted. Gentiles are those who are outsiders. They don't know about the one true God. They never heard about Jesus. Our mission today is to take it to them. But you know what always happens? Look at me right here. Verse 2. This always happens. Every time. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. This always happens. It's just part of the deal. When you're proclaiming the gospel, the one true gospel, that God comes for the weak and he sets them free. When you do that, religious people don't like it. They got their systems. They got their inward-facing family. They ain't jiving with that. And they will persecute you. There's always some who persecute you. You're not living in line with their customs. So the religious people stood up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers. You start to see resiliency here. Paul, it's like Paul was like, oh gosh, man, there's a, there's a little bit of conflict in my life now. I guess I just have to totally give up on talking about Jesus. I'm, I'm just leaving. How often do we do that? If there's the least bit of a sign of conflict, we're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm falling apart. I can't do this. I do that if I'm not careful. So they were resilient. They stayed there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. All right? I, I never, I've never seen this before. This is an insight that just never, never came to me. Part of what is so evil about religious people 
who don't want you to spread the gospel? You know what's evil about it? Let's go back to Genesis 2. It's not on the screen. God made this world. He made us. And he stayed checked in with us. He didn't check out and say, hey, bro, just do what you want. He gave us a mission. He gave us an objective. He told us to be fruitful, to multiply, have a lot of kids, and take this little garden and spread it to the ends of the earth so the whole world is a beautiful garden. Literally, he's telling them to take it to the nations. And the devil comes in and he says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't need to live an outward life that's about the world, that's about reaching the nations. No, 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 no. The devil comes in and he goes, you do what you want as long as it makes you happy. You live an inward life. Are we, are we tracking with this? Are you the religious person who doesn't really want the message to go out? If so, that's demonic. That is literally demonic. That is our sole objective in life to spread this news. Are you that person? Eventually, they actually started stoning him. Verse 6, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Oh my gosh, they're being resilient. They're not letting a little bit of conflict just wear away at their self-esteem and just make them emotionally unhealthy. They're resilient. All right, so then they, they're like, all right, they're about to stone us. We got to go to the other city, boys. They go to the next city. It's Lystra. Okay, this is where we see the strategy shift a little bit. It's amazing. I need y'all to track with this. See, up till this point, Paul would go to the Jews first, the religious people. Now we see a change in his tactic. You see, Lystra, it doesn't even have Jews. It doesn't have religious people. They're all Gentiles. They're all outsiders. There's no synagogues to go into. Now at Lystra, there's a man sitting who cannot use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. There's a man crippled there. All right, from birth. It's not like he was like, oh man, I, sp- I sprained my ankle last week playing soccer. Ho- I mean, hopefully it'll get better. This guy has been lame from birth. He's an outcast. Oh my gosh, people don't even treat him like he's human his entire life. He's on the outside looking in. He listened to Paul speaking. He listened to Paul preaching the gospel. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, Lyconian, the gods have come down in the likeness of men. Picture yourself there, ladies and gentlemen, please. A man was healed. You better believe the crowd was like, oh, oh my goodness. This dude is alive. He's walking. And I would have been the guy who was like, I would have been scared. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I would have been like, what the, what the heck's going on? <laughs> Bro just got up. He's been laying from birth. The crowd saw what Paul had done, lifted up their voice. The gods had come down. They literally start worshiping them as gods. Let's not look down on them. We might be tempted to do the same thing if we just saw that happen. They start worshiping them as gods. They called Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. (laughs) It's amazing. Here they are on a mission to proclaim the one true God, and they're worshiping them as God. There's actually a 
a rumor and a legend going around at the time. Like, the timing of this is amazing, you guys. At this very city, there's a rumor going around that two gods were going to enter into the city. This is before Paul and Barnabas came. That two gods were going to come into the city, and the city wasn't going to be welcoming and inviting and hospitable. So the two gods who came, they were going to actually release their anger on the city and destroy the city. Can you imagine this? So the whole town is thinking that's going to happen anyway. Then Paul and Barnabas actually come in proclaiming the gospel. So they're like, oh my gosh, we better treat them really well. These might be gods. I don't want them to destroy the city. And so then they come in, they give them gifts. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. It's amazing. They're treating them like royalty. Paul and Barnabas. So what did Paul and Barnabas do? Do they enjoy getting all the glory? Let's see. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. They should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and all the sea and all that is in them. Paul and Barnabas are completely distraught. They don't kind of like it that they're getting worshipped of God. They tore their garments, which in that day and age would have just been so risky to do. I mean, you're supposed to be all put together. And here they are. They're stressed. They're being treated as gods. And here's what they do. Guys, there's some good tips for us here. They're talking to Gentiles. They're talking to people who aren't religious. Picture your friends. Picture your family. Picture your neighbors. Picture your coworkers in normal everyday life. Notice how Paul speaks to them. Do you want to reach people? Look at this tip here. He says, turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He's asking them, not like a self-righteous person, he's asking them, hey, you're, you're worshiping these vain things, you've given your life over to these things, why don't you turn to the one true God who's real and he's alive. He made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Another tip for us, guys, for sharing the gospel with our friends and family. It's just inviting people to consider, yeah, you know all these things in your life, like food, fun, work, you know, all these good gifts? Well, you're actually kind of ignoring the God who gave you those gifts. I'm inviting you to consider a different perspective, that this God who gave you these gifts is good. I said this this morning. You're like the little kid at Christmas in the morning. You know, you go down, you get all the gifts. Oh, cool, cool. Look at all these things, Mom, Dad. But then you ignore Mom and Dad. We can invite people to consider this. It's a different perspective. They won't get mad. Okay, maybe every now and then. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Here's another tip about religious people. They brew and they stew. (laughs) They don't know how to forgive because they know God. They don't know that God forgave them. The same religious people from the past city, they come up and they catch up. From Iconium and Antioch. 
And somehow, I don't, get, I don't get this, guys. This blows my mind. Somehow the people went from worshiping Barnabas. Now all of a sudden, they're like, all right, bro, we got to stone him. I don't know what the religious people did. But they got in there. They got in there. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. What if you were there? What if you were there? Your leader has just been stoned. For all you know, he's dead because the mission of stoning <laughs> is to kill. Man, it must, have been, it must have been sad. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. I'm picturing, you know, like in football, you know, like someone gets knocked out stone cold, you know, and the teammates come around and they're surrounding him. They're like, I don't know, I guess he could be dead. They think Paul's dead. But then they gather around him and he rises. He rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Do you see this resilience? Are we seeing this? God, help me see this, please. He's still preaching the gospel right after this. He wants to invite people to know God. He wants to invite people into his life. He wants to invite people to consider that there's a better way. He keeps going. He keeps going. When they preached the gospel to that city, verse 21, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. This must have been so sweet. (laughs) This must have been precious time. Paul has gone from city to city to city preaching the gospel. He preaches the gospel. Guess what happens when he preaches the gospel? Churches are formed. New life is formed. New spiritual families are formed. Every time the true gospel is preached. Do we believe this? Do you believe this? And so he went on the, he went on the journey, and now he's on his way back. He's stopping in all the places he, he went on. There's churches at all of them. And this must have been so, so great. He comes to these, these churches and disciples there, and he's strengthening their souls. Man, they must have... They must have looked up to him. He's like their spiritual father. And like a good father, guess what he's cautioning them against? The same thing that Jesus constantly cautioned his disciples about. And the constant caution we should have for ourselves. We've got to track with this. He encouraged them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Remember that metal? M-E-T-A-L? The resilient metal. It goes through heat and pressure. Tremendous amounts. And that's what our Christian life together is like. Many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. This slaps in the face this American idea that if me and God really got it going on, Life's pretty much going to work. That's a lie. God loves his children. He loves his beloved sons and daughters too much. 
to not put them through a purification process. Are we ready for that? Am I ready for that? I ask myself this all the time. Apparently, Paul thinks this is very important. I know, man, we want to, we're a family here, legacy, we're a family. We have a mission to share the gospel. Are we ready for this? Are you the typical American person who really doesn't love God? You just love the stuff he gives you? Lord, liberate us. Set us free. Please. You are good. It is finished. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Man, we see this We see this trend. Preach the gospel, plant churches, set in elders. We'll notice that it's actually a plurality of elders, a company, a team of men to take care of the flock, to teach us, to encourage us, to keep us from going astray, without which we would go astray and might never come back. So they're having this great time together. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch. You guys, Antioch, that's their home church. That's their sending church. Oh, man, they're home. They're home. Wow. I don't care how goofy it looks. That's exciting. They've been on a long journey. And they're home with their spiritual family and their family. Mm. Where they've been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Man, them some great time together. Talking about all that God's doing, all he's done. I wonder if Paul was humble about it, you know? Like, did he mention the fact that he was basically like a warrior beyond warriors, doing whatever it took to preach the gospel? I'm sure he was humble. When they arrived and gathered the church together, again, they declared all that God had done. And here's the key. Now he had opened up a door of faith to the Gentiles. Legacy, do we want to do that? Do we want to reach Gentiles? Do we want to reach outsiders? It's our mission. Those who don't know God. Oh, man, we want them to meet God. We invite them into our lives. We invite them to our tables. We invite them to see us. Because in the process, they just might see God. And in the process, we share the gospel with them. God, please help Legacy walk through this door continually to the Gentiles, to the outsiders. And they remain no little time with the disciples. Man, they must have been, they must have been there a long time. Talking about all God's done, encouraging one another, telling war stories. That must have been great. We're called to this legacy. No, we're not Paul. We're not Paul. 
There's only one Paul. But we're called to this resilient life. <laughs> wow. We can't do that. We can't do it. But someone else did. The warrior king, God himself, came down from heaven. In the Old Testament, we often see God described as a warrior or a warrior king or the God of the angel armies. You see, here in America, we just like all the nice, tender, emotionally pleasing aspects of Jesus. The Bible talks about Jesus as the warrior king who comes aggressively to pursue his bride because he loves her. And that warrior king came for us. He pursued us. He loves us that much. Our warrior king came, and he went through the ultimate battle, stepping onto the cross, absorbing that punishment that you know we deserve. And he charged that cross. He wasn't like, you know what, I'm not sure if I love them or not. He was like, no, Father, I love you and I love them. And I'm going to purchase them on the cross. I'm going to do it for them in their place. And then I'm going to rise. Guys, our soldier, our warrior king, our warrior groom has risen so that we can have new life. That's the only way we're ever going to be resilient. We've got to trust in Jesus' resiliency. We've got to trust in Jesus's. When Jesus rose, he ascended into heaven, and now he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Picture this. The warrior has ascended. He's gone home after the battle, and he's sitting on his throne with his Father. And we're going to see him really soon. We're going to see him really soon. We're going to see our warrior king. We're going to be home. We're going to be home. We're going to be home really soon. So until then, and I don't care how goofy it sounds, let's fight. Pray with me, please. Father, in Jesus' name, you are real. You're there. You're here. You've come for us. You're a warrior. You're our knight. You're our shining armor. You're our everything. You're our happily ever after. You're all we got. We can't do this without you. Please be with us. Empower us. Help us to fight. Help us to sojourn, to travel well on our journey to see you forever. Help us to remember that those who are hurting and weak, who don't have a chance, who feel like they're falling apart, oh, you're the warrior. You will take care of them. You will. You have a soft spot in your heart for people who are hurting. Oh, warrior king. We love you. We can't wait to see you. In your name, amen.